I'm going to invite you this morning to turn with me in God's Word to Luke's Gospel. We'll turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and this morning we'll be looking at the first 12 verses of Luke, chapter 24, and we'll read it under the heading of Testimonies of the Resurrection. Testimonies of the Resurrection from Luke, chapter 24. Let's give our attention to God's Word. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the son of James and the other women who were with Him who told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And here we'll end the reading of God's Word. May His blessing be upon it. My most dear friends, It is the testimony of the Bible that the Savior is not dead, but is risen. Luke, the writer of this Gospel, is called the physician. He is a trained man who is writing this Gospel as we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I'm writing this to you for the certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. Throughout the whole of his gospel, he is marshalling evidence like a lawyer presenting his case that Jesus is the Christ. And all of this evidence is rising up. It keeps building on itself, getting to this crescendo moment. He is risen. This is the heart. This is the point. This is the climax, the mountaintop of what Luke is trying to prove with his Gospel. Your Savior is not dead, but alive. But as we read the first 12 verses in Luke's Gospel in particular, what you might find interesting this Easter Sunday morning is there is not a single mention Or I should say, there isn't a single appearance of Christ. Where is the Lord? Throughout all of Luke's Gospel, for 24 chapters, Jesus has been on every page revealing to His disciples and to the world that He is the promised Messiah. And it's the third day And as the women and the angels and the disciples peer into the empty tomb, Jesus is absent. 
put yourselves in the sandals of the women, the disciples, or even the first readers of this Gospel many thousands of years ago, where is Christ? Matthew and Mark and John all record Christ revealing Himself to Mary Magdalene, yet Luke makes no mention of it. Luke waits all the way until verse 28, towards the end of the chapter, the end of the Gospel, to record Christ's revelation to His disciples. And the reason Luke doesn't mention Christ revealing Himself to the women at the tomb, or Christ's appearance in those first 28 verses, is because Luke is giving multiple testimonies, multiple attestations, that Christ is risen despite His persecution, His rejection, and the humiliation He endured on the Friday. That's what I want you to see with me in our time this morning is that Luke testifies that Jesus fulfilled God's promises when He was resurrected for you. Luke testifies that Jesus fulfilled God's promises when He was resurrected for you. And he gives three examples of attestation. He gives us, in verses 1-3, through the tomb's evidence. In verses 4-8, through the angelic witness. And then in verses 9-12, through we see the women's report. That's the tomb's evidence, the angelic witness, and the women's report. Let's give our attention to those first three verses. The tomb's evidence. The first testimony or attestation from God that Jesus rose from the dead was the empty tomb. The prophets long ago foretold that the Messiah would endure the grave. We see that in Psalm 16. But that the Messiah would overcome the grave. Now the grave throughout the Scriptures acts as a symbol in a similar way it acts as a symbol in our lives today. When you think of a grave, we think of it in a similar way. It's an epitome of darkness, says Job 17. It's a prison that keeps somebody from light and life. Job says again in 17. Not only this, but the Jews viewed the grave as, or it was ritually unclean for them, and so they were not to associate with it. With it. it personifies to them and to us death. And once somebody is laid in the grave, it is something that no one can escape. We all know the finality of death. When we lay a loved one in the grave, it is a goodbye until that grave is open. But we know that that loved one will not be at home when we go back. We will not see them again at the dinner table. But yet we see here in verse 2 that as the women come to Jesus' grave that Sunday morning, The grave is not sealed, but it's open. Luke records they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. That's as as soon as the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were rushing to the tomb. They were coming to the place where Jesus was laid to embalm His body, 
to anoint his face, his head and his face. Perhaps also to anoint his wounded hands and feet and to scatter sweet spices and flowers around the body. And because the, the arid climate at the, uh, where Jesus was crucified and buried is so dry and, uh, and hot, decomposition would be very rapid, and so they are rushing there to get there after the Sabbath day. But Luke records these women not as an example of faithfulness, even though their love and devotion to Christ is evident. He records them actually as examples of unbelief at first. You see, they had heard Jesus' teaching. They knew what the prophets foretold. But they are coming to the tomb this Easter Sunday expecting to find a dead man. A dead Lord. Not a living Lord. But look at what the tomb... See the evidence of the tomb this morning. In verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. God is already testifying to them. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And there's a few marks we want to see here. First, the, the heavy stone that was in front of the tomb. In the Gospel of Mark, as the women are walking to the tomb, they are discussing amongst themselves, how are we going to move this thing? It's estimated that the rocks that were often rolled in front of the tombs would be in excess of 500 pounds or more. Here in, in Luke's Gospel, it's not recorded at this discussion, but the women, it was on their minds. How are we going to move this massive boulder? Secondly, in Matthew 27, it says that there were guards who were detached there who were to prevent them from entering. We also know thirdly that the Jewish leaders, having heard the story, tried to initiate the cover-up. All of these things point to the fact that even in the way of the women's faithful devotion to Christ and God's empty tomb, that He removed all of the hindrances for them. The guards were missing. The stone was rolled away. It was removed for them that they might be able to walk in and see the resurrection. It says in verse 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, we didn't talk about it on Friday, but it says in chapter 23, verse 55, and chapter 24, verse 23, that the women were with Jesus' body when He was laid in the tomb. They saw Him wrapped in the linen cloths. They saw Him uh, laid there and the stone rolled in front of it. At this Sunday morning, they would have been exhausted and depressed and in mourning as they had come to bury their Lord. But imagine their shock that Sunday morning as they enter into the tomb and they don't see the body there that was there just a few days ago. And sometimes we can look down on these women for their apparent lack of faith. Since we know how the story ends, we would have believed, of course. But we need to appreciate their surprise this morning. You know, on Good Friday, seeing the Lord whipped and beaten and the crown of thorns upon His head and nailed to the cross. And remember, we talked about on Friday the depth of the sorrow of His heart. 
Not only was his body broken, but his soul was broken. Remember, we quoted B.B. Warfield who said, Christ, that that Good Friday, didn't die of the cross. He died on a cross, but He died of a broken heart. It would have been so easy on that Friday for the hope that they had in the Messiah to be dashed upon the cross. He seemed to have failed. And now that they don't have His body to honor, this only adds to their distress and their sorrow. But yet little did they know that the very tomb that they stood in, that Jesus' body wasn't hidden, it wasn't lost, it wasn't stolen, but He had been resurrected. Though the boulder was too great for the women to move, it was not too great for Christ to move. Though the soldiers were too strong for them to get by, they were not too strong for the power of Christ's resurrection. No one was able to hinder the testimony of God concerning His Son, no matter how much they tried. The empty tomb acts as a testimony that Jesus was buried. He was dead. He stayed in that tomb. His body laid in there for a few days. But the open mouth of the grave testifies that He is here no longer. You know, the tomb, says the Heidelberg Catechism, the fact that Jesus was buried, it says, is a testimony. It is evidence that He really and truly died and was buried. Brothers and sisters, Christ did endure the punishment of God's truth or justice and truth. They sealed the tomb and they experienced what every one of us, he experienced what every one of us will experience short of Christ's return. He experienced death. He was so humiliated even to the point of dying. But as the stone was rolled away by Christ's power, and as the sun stood up in the grave that Easter Sunday, the tomb then, the grave then, is no longer a symbol of God's judgment to us or to Christ. It is now a symbol of His mercy. That Christ has redeemed not only our souls, but has redeemed the whole of our bodies even as we lay in the grave and Dear friends, don't we know this to be true? That even though our loved one may not be at home for us when we come home for dinner, or when we wish to see our parents again, we know that the commitment into the ground is not judgment. It is not hell. But we can commit them in a commitment of hope. I don't know what, the, what you guys do here, but when I was in the RCA, part of the liturgy of the grave was we would say, it's a seed planted in the ground that will soon spring forth into resurrection one day. Because Christ opened the grave, His own grave, we can have hope that one day Christ will open our graves. That nothing is too strong. Death is not too strong for the power of Christ. 
But the question still is on the minds of the women and should be still on our minds as well. What happened to the body of the Lord? Where is He? And so we see the angelic witness answers this question. It says in the middle of verse 4, suddenly there were two angels with the women in the tomb. They are said to be clothed in dazzling apparel. Imagine the shock that it would have been to their eyes. A tomb is not much like the graves we have today. It would have been hollowed out into the side of a hill likely or into the side of a rock. It would have been very dark, uh, dimly lit, and they're in this dark setting and then all of a sudden dazzling white angels are in their midst. You can imagine the shock that it would have been to their eyes as all of a sudden in their midst is two resplendent, glorious beings clothed in white. Now, sometimes in the West we can misinterpret what angels are. We can think of little fat babies with wings or a Fabio-looking character with luscious long hair and eagle wings. But Luke actually records they looked like men. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They would have looked quite human-like. Yet they are glorious in dazzling apparel. The women are said in verse 5 to be frightened and to bow their faces to the ground. Remember, of course, in the Scriptures, bowing is an act of, or it's a sign of submission of reverence. In lots of senses, it's a submission. It's a body posture of worship. We, don't, we, we see the pictures of the tomb and we think of the angels. We don't really recognize how glorious they would have been, but I want to suggest to you if an angel, one of those two angels, came and stood here in our midst, they would be so beautiful. They would be so resplendent that we would, they would seem as gods to us. They're beyond what our minds can imagine. It would be challenging for us to not fall on our faces and to worship them as gods. But notice this morning, the angels are there, but they are there to attest not to their own beauty or their own glory, but they attest to the majesty and the power of Jesus Christ. Their beauty is dwarfed in comparison to the beauty of Christ's resurrection. They, compared to Jesus Christ, are nothing but messengers. They have come not to be worshipped, but to point the women's eyes to the King of kings who is worthy of worship. Here the angels proclaim what the tomb hinted at, but the woman could not understand, it says in verse 4, because they were perplexed. This doesn't mean that they were just confused. It means that they didn't have the resources in their minds. They were not able to comprehend what was taking place in the tomb. And We ought to ask the question, why? You know, Christ had foretold this. He had, tell, he had told them on many different occasions, I will be resurrected. They knew when, that he would, this would happen. It was foretold in the prophets. It was foretold all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Why did they not understand this? I'll tell you why. 
because they just saw Christ crucified. They saw him nailed to the tree while he was still alive through his hands and his feet. After he gave up his spirit, it says that a guard plunged a spear into his side and blood and water flushed out of his body showing that he was truly dead. They took him down from the cross. They prepared his body. They laid it in a tomb. What these women saw was the depth of his humiliation. And when you see a man or a woman humiliated in such a way, how could you believe in his glorification? How could you comprehend the beauty of the resurrection? But the angels understood. The angels knew that his humiliation was only for a time. It would not be forever, but that he would be glorified. And so they sound out that beautiful trumpet question. Look in your Bibles with me. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. You know, I did a word study on the word living. Do you know what living means in the Bible? It means living. Why are you seeking the one who is alive amongst the dead? He is not dead, he is alive. The angels are witnessing to the fact yes, he was humiliated. Yes, his body did lay in a barren tomb. It was cold. It had no pulse, no heartbeat. But as on the Sunday morning, when the rays of the sun begin to cascade upon that tomb, his dead heart began to beat. Blood began to be pumped through his veins again. His eyes opened. His Lungs filled with breath, and he stood up in that grave as our champion, as our glorified King and Savior, the firstborn of the dead, the resurrection of the life, the one who would lay his own life down but have the power to raise it up again. He conquered death. Dear church, he is not here, he is risen. The tomb acted as a silent witness that he was not dead, but the angels are the first proclaimers of his resurrection. He is alive. He's alive. He's alive. Your Savior has risen from the grave. And as he stood in that grave, the angels in heaven and God the Father and the Spirit cried out in glory. Glory to him who was slain, but by his death has overcome. And one of the most beautiful aspects of this passage. I want you to notice that the angels don't point to the tomb and say, look, obviously He's not here. I mean, the linen cloths are there. It says when Peter looks at it. and He doesn't say, you know, look at the stone and the guards who are no longer here. They say, 
Do you not remember? Remember how He told you, verse 6, while He was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. Uh, Philip Graham Ryken, a Bible commentator, says, we are to believe in the resurrection not on the basis of its evidences, its physical evidences. We are to believe in the resurrection because of what Jesus said. Close quote. They're saying, meditate, remember, consider Jesus' words. He said He would be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He said He would be crucified, but He said that on the third day He would rise again. And everything that Jesus said had come true. Now it's the third day. The day He promised to be raised. Riken again says, when the women saw the empty tomb, they should have known Jesus was alive from the dead, but the reason they were perplexed is because they hadn't yet believed. Luke, by the inspiration of the Spirit, gives us insight into their minds. And look at this, this beautiful point. And they remembered His words. That is, the events of Gethsemane. The judgment by Pilate. The cross, the tomb, its vacancy. All of these things all of a sudden in their mind click together with Jesus' teaching. They remember. And now they know why the tomb is empty. Now they know why Christ isn't there. Because Christ is alive by the power of the resurrection. That leads us to an interesting application. How do we know today if Jesus rose from the dead? You know, if we were able to know which tomb Christ was buried in and say, I took all of you with me and we went to Israel and we had the best scientists and the best equipment, would we be able to determine if Jesus had truly died and was raised? I want to suggest to you if we are relying on the evidences that we can come up with, if we are relying on physical things, we too, like the women, would be perplexed. Herein lies the reason Luke doesn't mention Christ revealing Himself to His disciples until verse 28. Luke is trying to teach us that we come to know the resurrection when we remember Christ's words by faith. It's by faith we know Christ's resurrection. It's by faith we know its power. It's by faith we believe it to be true. One thing I want to mention as well, uh, a word of application here. I love this passage because doesn't this teach us about the importance of women in our congregation? God in His good pleasure first revealed the revelation of His Son to women in the church. Remember that women in the ancient world were really just above the level of slaves in the Roman society. But in Christ's resurrection and His revelation of the resurrection, we ought to learn that this is not the case for us in the church. Christ died, dear ladies who are here today, to redeem women just as much as He has died to redeem men. He has set His love on mothers and sisters, and daughters, and wives, and you too are entrusted with the Gospel. 
you too are called to instruct others in its truthfulness and to bear witness of the resurrection. It's not just the intern's job to proclaim Christ. It's not just the elders or the deacons or our husbands or the men here today, but God has called you too to tell others about the Savior and to bear witness of the fact that this Easter Sunday, Christ has risen from the dead. Look at how the women, in point three, the women's report, they rise up from their bowing to the ground as they remember. Imagine the joy in their hearts. They have been Christ's witnesses from Galilee. They've come, witness, they've come with Him from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. They witnessed the cross. They witnessed His burial. They witnessed His empty tomb. And now by faith, they are witnesses to the resurrection. Luke lists all the women who came with the apostles. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. The verb, I know you don't want to hear Greek, but the verb for when the word where it says told these things is what we call the imperfect tense, which means it's ongoing action. Which means they kept telling the apostles. We get this scene where the women burst into the room and they're all saying the same thing at once. They're all telling them, He's risen, He's risen, He's risen. Not one of them had a different testimony. It was a consistent witness. He is risen from the, gate, from the grave. Each woman proclaiming Christ is risen. But look at the disciples' response. These words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe Him. Unbelief. Even though Jesus had made them the same promises, they didn't remember. They did not believe. The disciples of Christ become the first skeptics of the resurrection. But don't we know that there's one, Peter, one disciple who has learned not to doubt the words of the Lord? It says in verse 12, our final verse we were looking at this morning, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter saw the empty tomb and the linen cloths that further proved Christ's resurrection. Nobody would have stripped the body first. Those cloths might have been the most valuable thing in that tomb. But he still wasn't sure. Peter's sorrow about the Lord's humiliation could not be overcome by even the physical evidences. But if you flip one page over to Luke in Luke 24 to verse 36 through 49, Jesus does end up revealing himself to his disciples. They're startled. He shows them his hands and his feet. And then in verse 41, it says, And while they, and while they still disbelieved, but not for sorrow any longer, they disbelieved for joy. They're overwhelmed at the revelation of Christ. And look what it says, and we're marveling. The same word that's used in verse 12 when Peter goes home marveling. Christ's revelation turned their sorrow into joy. So much joy they could hardly believe their eyes that Jesus was before Him. The women's testimony was confirmed to be true. Their report was confirmed to be true. 
He rose from the dead for them. In conclusion this morning, I want to put a question to you. Have you also considered the testimonies of the resurrection? I want you to ask the question today, is Christ's promise true? Jesus said in John 11, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes or lives and believes in Me shall never die. The resurrection of Christ is the best of news. Death has been defeated. He has been raised from the dead for the church. Consider the evidence this morning. The tomb has given witness. The angels have announced it. And the women have testified to it that God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. He was raised on the third day from the dead for our justification. And if we believe, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I can't present a physical evidence compelling enough for you to believe. But believe this. It is the testimony of the Scriptures. It is the testimony of the Bible. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. And all who believe upon Him and His resurrection will receive life and life eternal. Come. Come. And find life in His empty tomb. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give You thanks that 2,000 years ago there was an empty tomb women who loved You and an angelic witness and disciples whom would eventually believe that Christ has risen from the dead. He is our faithful witness who died upon the cross because He loved us. And You raised Him up, O God, because You have set Your affection upon the church. We pray, God, that You would reveal this not only to the hearts of those who were there in the tomb, but You would reveal it to our hearts this morning as well that Christ has risen. Risen for us and our justification. That we might stand before You, be Your people, the children of God. Father, we pray that all of these things would be ours, not because of any evidences, not because of anything that we have done in and of ourselves, but because of Christ's work for us. May the Spirit bear witness to this in our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.